you know, we really need to get clarity on where it is we're ultimately trying to go. And for some people, let's just say you are, you know, 50% body fat. I've had some of those clients. You're somebody who's really overweight. You know, for a while, that discipline needs to be very, very paramount, right? And the clarity will be getting ourselves to a certain body composition because, right, we have health issues, we have symptoms there, but that can definitely change over time. So where is it that we need to get to? What is the ultimate goal? What does that look like? And not saying that that goal has to be your forever goal, but what is the ultimate goal of where we're trying to get to? What is the meaning of health? And why are we really entering on this journey in the first place? I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and today's guest is Rachel Shear. Rachel is a functional medicine nutritionist who received her degree from Baylor University in nutrition science and dietetics and became certified in functional medicine through the Kalish Institute. Rachel's journey as a nutritionist began in bodybuilding and athletic performance. However, a couple years into her practice, she began to suffer from severe gastrointestinal dysfunction. After many false diagnoses, spending thousands of dollars on doctor visits and tests, Rachel decided to take her health into her own hands by taking a gut-centric approach to her healing. By learning how to heal instead of just deal, Rachel was able to avoid having her entire large intestine removed, come off the dozens of medications she was put on over the years, and regain full function of her gut. And prior to transforming her health, Rachel was addicted to fitness, external validation, and achievement, and also struggled with her self-worth. This led to her developing an unhealthy relationship with working out, food, and body image. In today's episode, we unpack Rachel's incredible story from start to finish, and she reveals how she completely transformed her life and her relationship with health and fitness. We also chat about Rachel's childhood, how that led to some of her struggles, how she's healed from that, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Rachel Shear to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Doug, I'm excited to be on your show today. I'm excited to have you. You have a phenomenal story, and I think what you're doing now is so important in the world of health, fitness, nutrition, coaching. But I think a good place for us to start is you have completely transformed your relationship with food, with health, with fitness, and your body. So maybe before we dive into your story a bit, like, could you provide the audience maybe like three tips or three things that you think of are so important for people to keep in mind? when they're looking to uh, transform their relationship with their body? That's such a good question. And yeah, like you said, I know we'll dive into a little bit as to some of my not so great relationship I had with food, body image, and all of that. But I'd say the first most important thing is getting clear on why we're really going on a transformational journey, a health journey, a fitness journey overall. And if I look back even at my story, you know, I actually got into fitness for a lot of the wrong reasons. You know, it was all about self-worth and trying to prove something to myself and to everybody else. 
And ultimately that's what led to so many of my health issues that I had later on, burnout, exhaustion. But I was really getting into fitness, not for health. Yes, I made up all of these different kind of excuses of I'm going to be the best version of myself, but really it was about getting to a place of what I thought was perfection instead of actually trying to get to a place of overall health. So I'd say first and foremost is the why as to why we're even beginning this journey in the first place. And I'd say too also what your definition of health even is, because this is something that I've really had to contemplate myself as I've been on my, this journey. You know, back then I used to think health was, you know, just go to the gym, lift heavy things, eat kind of sort of healthy most of the time, count your macros. And is that really all that it takes to be healthy? And we have to ask the question, you know, if that really is the meaning of health, then why do so many people suffer with their health, especially their mental health? So my definition of health has definitely evolved throughout my entire journey, you know, of health being ultimately a form of self-love, which is going to look very different on very different days. Sometimes the most loving thing for myself is saying, get off your ass, get in the gym, lift some heavy things. And sometimes the most loving thing for myself is saying, you know what, today you need to rest, you need to slow down, you need to pause. So that's my definition of health. But if you were to ask me, you know, five years ago when I was competing in bodybuilding and I was 10% body fat and I was shredded, I would have said, you know, it's being lean, it's being fit. So it's really the why behind why we're going on this journey in the first place what our definition of health really is, because we can say we're trying to get healthy, but one person may have a definition of that being shredded beyond belief and at 10% body fat, where another person it's hey, self-love and feeling their best every single day. It's being able to live their life, go out and enjoy different kinds of foods with their friends. It amplifies their social life, their family life. And for me, you know, when I was competing in, in bodybuilding, kind of going back to that, you know, it took away from all of those areas. I would eat out of little containers every single day. I said no to probably most social events because it wouldn't fit in with a perfect diet that I needed to try to hit, and I was obsessed. And like I said, that's what ultimately led to a lot of my health issues we'll talk about here in a little bit. So why our health? And then I, I think ultimately, too, the third piece that people really need to think about when beginning the journey is where they're ultimately trying to go and what they're where they're trying to get to as well. I'd say for myself, I didn't really have a clear direction of what that was when I was getting started on this journey. It was just, okay, I get to this point where I feel like I have a sense of worthiness and that's where I kept pushing my body further and further and further to the point where, again, I, I got sick with all these health issues. So where is it we're ultimately trying to get to? You know, for me, I want to get to a place where I don't have to think about every single morsel of food that I'm putting into my mouth. I don't want to have to count calories, you know, so that kind of goes intertwined with the definition of health ultimately. But I'd say, you know, we really need to get clarity on where it is we're ultimately trying to go. And for some people, let's just say you are, you know, 50% body fat. I've had some of those clients. You're somebody who's really overweight, you know, for a while that discipline needs to be very, very paramount, right? And the clarity will be getting ourselves 
to a certain body composition because, right, we have health issues, we have symptoms there, but that can definitely change over time. So where is it that we need to get to? What is the ultimate goal? What does that look like? And not saying that that goal has to be your forever goal, but what is the ultimate goal of where we're trying to get to? What is the meaning of health? And why are we really entering on this journey in the first place? And I think if more people started to ask those type of questions, it would really make clear a lot of the other things that come up along the way that probably often don't align with what we really think about when we think of health and fitness and all of these other things that the fitness industry really tends to claim as, hey, this is health. That's a great place for people to start when they're trying to think about like transforming the relationship with their body is number one is why they're doing it, like having a deep emotional why as to why they want to make the transformation too. Like you said, um, getting clear on what it means for you to be healthy. And then three, you know, creating a vision, getting clarity on where you want to go. And you brought up something that I think a lot of people end up struggling with, and that is using fitness is a way to, you know, improve your self-worth, improve the way you looked and that sort of thing. And I think that that can be very, very healthy, right? I think fitness is a great tool for improving self-esteem, improving self-confidence. Obviously, a lot of people want to look healthier and feel healthier in their body. I think there's nothing wrong with that. But where did it become like unhealthy for you? Like walk the audience through, like when was the breaking point for you where you slowly started to lose that healthy relationship with fitness and then you started to pursue it for the wrong reasons? That's such an interesting question. And it's actually one that I've contemplated myself. I was like, where where was really this pivot? And even this morning, I was working a little bit on my public speaking and writing up my own story. And I kind of pinpointed some things even very, very early on in my childhood that I was like, mm, this is actually kind of a little bit unhealthy. And I'll explain what I mean by that here in a minute. But, you know, I've always had an addictive type of a personality. You know, I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional home. I was neglected as a kid and most of my family got into drugs and alcohol and all of these type of addictions. So it's, it's kind of been a part of my family for, you know, generations. And for me, I used to say, you know, fitness was my escape. You know, fitness was my therapy. It was a way for me to feel like I had some sense of control in my life. So as I was a little kid, I was a gymnast and I was a dancer and it gave me a type of significance that I felt like I really didn't have as a young girl because I didn't get that from my family and I really wasn't getting the love that I needed when I was younger. So you could honestly say fitness was an addiction for me very, very early on because it gave me something that I felt like I didn't really have. And I was a very introverted kid, shy, still am shy. A lot of people don't know that about me. Public speaking scares death out of me, but I still do it every single day. That's one thing about me is I'll always put myself in the circumstances that I'm like scared to death of. You know, when I went off to college, I decided to study nutrition and dietetics. And, you know, that's when I picked up weightlifting and I got into bodybuilding. And that was the first time I truly felt confident in my entire life because I was a very, very insecure girl. Super insecure, like I said, shy. I was bullied when I was younger. I had acne, I had braces. Like if you did a before and after, you'd be like, oh my gosh, who is that girl? So 
little note to everybody, always date the nerdy, kind of ugly girl because they just haven't peaked yet, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, when I got into college and I picked up weightlifting, you know, I just fell in love with it right away because, again, it just it fed this part of me that I felt like was really missing. Now, I didn't know that at the time, but, you know, I started to compete in bodybuilding and I loved it. And Rachel Shear, you know, six pack abs was born. I started posting on social media, hashtag booty pics. You know, a lot of my photos ended up going viral and I loved what I was getting out of fitness. Ultimately, I loved the confidence that it was cultivating in me. I was you know, I was saying yes to more things, going out on dates with people. I was saying yes to doing more speaking things. So I'm putting myself out there. So, you know, I think there was a part of it that started off as a, you know, a healthy venture, you know, wanting to feel more confident in myself, wanting to see what I was capable of. And I loved all of that. But I think, you know, truly from the beginning, it was at the root, it's always been really that escape that type of addiction to feel like I was trying to fill in this sense of truly unworthiness. And I was really, really good at it too. So I continued into bodybuilding, competing for three years back to back, you know, 10% body fat at the time. I'm winning first place trophies. I think I literally won first place in my very first show. So I was like, dang, I'm good at this. There's something to this, which is, was something that was a big deal to me because I sucked in school. I made like just good enough grades to get into a college like Baylor. You know, I went into a massive amount of college debt, but I had always just wanted something more for my life because that wasn't something that was really offered to me at a young age. And as I got into competing, you know, my relationship with food really started to take, I'd say, kind of like a pivot, a detour, but it became unhealthy, right? And, you know, I wouldn't say I had like a food type, you know, any kind of like food issue where there was like purging or anorexia or anything like that. So from the outside looking in, right, I'm like the epitome of health. Yeah, I'm winning first place trophies. I'm not like starving myself or doing anything like that. But I had these rules that I had to follow. You know, I had to hit the perfect macronutrient ratio every single day. And I was obsessed with hitting these macros. I said no to different kind of social events and I would take my perfectly prepped food with me wherever I went. And my whole life now at this point became revolved around how I looked, fitness and competing. And it had nothing to do with health. It had nothing to do with health. It had everything to do with trying to try to fill in this gap of this piece of unworthiness. And it's so backwards when we think about this in the grand scheme of things, right? Because health is really about stepping into the best versions of ourselves. It should add to our life in so many different ways. It should add to our relationships. It should add to our mental health. You know, it shouldn't be taking away from these different areas. And the reality was, is I was trying to shame myself to health. So I want to unpack some of that because I think it's quite interesting because I know, as you know, I, I've also struggled with this. I think a lot of people, they fall into this, this trap of like taking it too far with their health and fitness to where it ends up like negatively impacting their overall well-being. What do you think was more addictive? Was it the external validation you were getting from people on the internet or your friends or people you were dating? Or was it more addictive to just you know, 
get leaner or achieve like a certain type of physique? Mm. There is definitely a combination of both of those there. It's hard to say which one was more because if I look back, you know, early on at the beginning, like I said, this has always kind of been an addiction for me, even at a very young age. You know, I wasn't doing it then for validation, but I was doing it for a degree of significance. You know, and I think that significance was really coming from myself. I felt significant from myself when I had a fit body or when I was achieving something. You know, that's very common in people who are like type A, perfectionistic, hyperachievers, you know. And then as I really started to get outside validation, because I started posting on social media, I was posting about what I was passionate about. And, you know, people are like, hey, you know, who is this girl? You know, then I think that became another avenue that really then, you know, kind of validated what I was already doing. So I think it started off more as the addiction to fitness itself. And then it evolved into, okay, people are saying, this is amazing. This is great. Like, wow, look at you. And you know what's so interesting, though, about addictions is, you know, yes, there's like drug and alcohol addictions, which we shame people for, but I actually had very similar addictions. They just were actually publicly praised. And we actually see this quite a bit, right? We see a lot of these addictions that are publicly praised, whether that's in hyperachievement, whether that's in fitness, and it really feeds into that addiction that that person is stuck in. Yeah, it's so true, right? We see so many people get praised for like taking their fitness and taking their bodies and the way they look to the to the next level. And sometimes a lot, some people that are getting all this attention and praise, they're really struggling on the inside. Like you said, like they're not overall, they're not like healthy overall. Their well being is being impacted by all of this. I want to talk about, like you said, that you you started to develop a little bit of an unhealthy relationship with food, and it became like pretty obsessive. What were some of your thoughts like like around that? Like how would you approach what you ate throughout the day? What types of things would you eat? How did you justify whether you would eat something or not? We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second, but first wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I have been using for quite some time now. Lately, I have been trying to use it as an alternative to coffee as I am trying to cut back. I can say I think it might be working. Using it can be as simple as adding it to a smoothie or mixing it with water or your favorite nut milk. Cacao Bliss starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com dougbobst Doug Bobst. Again, it's earthechofoods.com slash Doug to check it out and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. I started to look at food just in the forms of numbers, you know, because in bodybuilding, it's all about hitting the perfect macronutrient ratio. So was I hitting my 150 grams of protein every single day? Was I staying below, you know, the 100 grams of carbohydrates that it gave me? Was I staying below the 65 grams of fats that it gave me every single day? And I became obsessed with hitting that exact number every single day. 
and almost to the point where even if my body wasn't even looking any better, I just wanted to hit that number. It became this kind of like fucked up game in my head where I just had to hit this number. And then thereafter, it evolved into trying to figure out what kind of foods could fit into that number. And, you know, I was so deprived at the time, you know, again, I wasn't starving myself. This was what I thought was health at the time and trying to get to my optimal body composition. You know, I would then use a lot of diet foods, you know, diet foods are very, very prevalent in the fitness industry. So I don't know if you've ever heard of like the Walden Farms um, syrups before they're like zero calories, zero fat, zero anything is just literally pure chemicals. So like I would flavor my food with all of those kind of stuff. Again, terrible for like your gut, for your overall health. But again, there's no calories in it. So hey, guess what? Free food that we could eat there. I became addicted to chewing gum because just getting some kind of flavor ultimately. So I would literally chew at least like a half a pack of gum every single day. And then, you know, with the whole kind of macro game, that's where I would try to find foods that would somewhat satisfy me from like a taste standpoint, but I became addicted to things like artificial sweeteners and even things like stevia, right? I wasn't using like the sucralose or things like that, but I became addicted to trying to get some kind of flavor in these empty calorie foods and oftentimes even processed foods too that were like the the diet friendly kind of processed foods so a lot of like the rice cakes and things like that so a lot of my time and energy and my brain was focused literally revolving around what I was going to eat what was I going to eat for breakfast what was I going to eat for lunch what was I going to eat for dinner coming up with some different kind of foods and recipes that would fit perfectly within that number to try to like make a food that tasted good and it was like looking back, it was so delusional at the time. You know, right now I'm in a place where I don't think about food. Like I eat real food and my focus is elsewhere. It's on my business, it's on relationships. But so much of my mental space was just full of what I was going to eat next, you know, and how I could try to satisfy my body in some way, shape or form. And it just was all consuming. And I got to imagine that had to have all been incredibly like stressful right and depleting like from a mental health standpoint and i know you you kind of hit a a physical rock bottom where your body broke down i've heard you talk a bit about like that with what happened with your your gut and your colon and that sort of thing i want to go you can touch on this if obviously if if you want but i want to go like the mental health route like like what was that process like for you like mentally like walk the audience through how your mental health was impacted as your relationship with food began to get unhealthier and unhealthier and then what was what was the breaking point like for you you know one of the sayings they have in bodybuilding is usually the person who wins first place on stage is the most unhealthy person in the entire contest and that's really the place where i ended up i was terribly unhealthy and i was empty on the inside and all of my self-worth was based around how physically fit I was. So when I ended up getting really sick and battling all of these health issues, specifically gut issues and almost having my large intestine removed, you know, I felt like my entire identity was being stripped away from me in that moment because up until this point, my whole life had been nutrition and fitness. Like it was literally who I was. And I felt betrayed by my body. So that put me in a a really, really dark place. But I will say, you know, up until that point, I was pretty oblivious. 
right? I, I, I thought what I was doing was making me happier, you know, but it was always kind of chasing that happiness. So I can't say like I was actually happy. It was the, when I get here, I'm going to be happy. When I get here, I'm going to be happy, happy. So put up with the stress, put up with the anxiety, you know, just kind of put your head down and grind because, Hey, that's what you do to be, be successful. Right. So that's really what I was doing is I was what I thought delaying gratification and I was busting my ass in the gym. You know, I was focused on my goals and I wasn't truly happy, but I had this vision of me getting to a point of becoming happy. And that's what really kept me going throughout that entire journey. And I think it was once I really started to deal with these health issues, you know, where I felt so betrayed by my body, my hormones, my thyroids plummeting, you know, skin issues, you know, chronic bloating, can't go to the bathroom where the depression really sunk in because what was, what I felt taken away from me in that moment was that like pursuit for achieving that happiness. Because now physically, you know, I looked awful. Um, I look like I'm like six months pregnant every single day with how bloated I was at the time. And, you know, my identity was being massively stripped away. And I think it was at that point where I really could take a step back and look at where I was ultimately in my life. And, you know, most of my days were spent in, in an anxiety-driven place. My nervous system was super dysregulated chronically all the time. I woke up thinking about food. I went to bed thinking about food, thinking about training. I was so focused on how my body looked and how much fat I had on my body. And I was so lean and so fit. Like, if you look back, it, yes, I, I had a beautiful body. But I didn't feel like I had a beautiful body at that time, you know, and that's where I think some of that dysmorphia really came in. And I think some people think of like body dysmorphia as like you look in the mirror and you like literally see a different body. But I think you just become so hyper focused and so hyper addicted. You just can't really like see what the reality is. And I think that's what really happens in the addictions, right? We just become so like hyper focused on one key thing that we're really missing sight of everything else that's happening around us. And yeah, I just was fully empty at that point in my life. But I think one thing is when I dove into functional medicine, you know, and trying to get to the root cause of everything, which ended up being what created my entire practice that I have now today, Rachel Sure Nutrition. It's focused on root cause. And I talk a lot about gut health because when I got to some of the root cause there, I had a ton of bacteria overgrowth. I had a ton of inflammation in the gut. But one thing that a lot of people don't realize was what was the root cause of that in the first place? You know, we tend to say like, hey, the hormone imbalance is the root cause or the bacteria overgrowth in your gut or the microbiome is the root cause or your thyroid is the root cause. But we have to start to ask the question, what caused that to become off in the first place? So what do you think was for you that root cause? Because it seems to me just from hearing your story that like I just think from over time of you, your health deteriorating and, and you losing, you know, having an unhealthy relationship with fitness and the way you ate that that of course crushed your gut along with all the stress and probably lack of sleep and everything else that came along with all of that. So what do you think was, was at the, the core of all this? The root cause was the place that I was coming from. I was coming from a massive place of unworthiness and I was trying to shame myself to being healthy and fit. And we can't shame ourselves to health and we can't heal a body we don't love. And I wasn't loving myself at the time. 
And that was the true root cause of where I was coming from. And I think that's the kind of work that people need to do because, you know, that's where, right, Western medicine failed me with giving all of me these false diagnoses. And then I went kind of the functional route with traditional practitioners. And then they said, okay, this is what's going on with your adrenals and your gut microbiome. But no one is really asking the question, why did this become off in the first place? Why do we have food addictions in the first place? You know, we can say, hey, change your diet and do all these things. But why do we have food addictions? Because we don't love ourselves, right? Because we're trying to numb out. And I see people on both ends of the spectrum, right? Maybe you're somebody who's like me, type A, perfectionistic, you know, overachiever type, trying to shame yourself to being healthy and fit because you're coming from a place of unworthiness with the result being burnout, exhaustion, anxiety, depression. But it's the exact same thing on the opposite spectrum, isn't it? You know, the people who are overweight, you know, unhealthy, continuously making up excuses of why they should eat the shitty food, why they shouldn't work out you know, they also have a massive sense of unworthiness, you know, but they don't believe they're worth it. So they're not going into the gym. So they make up excuses why they should eat the shitty food. So I think really we have this epidemic of unworthiness that we're dealing with. And we deal with it in different ways. Some people like to numb it out with, with food. Some people like to do whatever they can to try to prove it to themselves and other people that they actually are worthy. So when we really can really peel back the layers and get to the root cause, you know, I think that's where a lot of that healing work can really begin. And it wasn't until I was truly able to get that root cause, which is kind of like the root cause under the root cause under the root cause, like that core piece that I was truly able to heal my body. And it wasn't just doing like a gut protocol or doing anything like that. It was truly healing my heart ultimately. Yeah. Because like, I think you can take all the probiotics in the world you can try to fix your gut with whatever supplements you want but if you're not like addressing your lifestyle and you're not looking at like why your gut's unhealthy in the first place and everything else that goes with that like it's just going to be a complete waste of money so like so what was the path for you to heal like your relationship with yourself because you mentioned that you you said that the root cause of all of this was you were shaming yourself into being healthy and fit so once you realized this what were a few steps you took initially to kind of reclaim your self-confidence and self-esteem. You know what's so interesting about healing is there's an ing at the end, right? It's healing. So I don't believe we ever get to a place where we're like, I'm healed, I'm good. You know, and healing is also very synergistic with growth. You know, a lot of personal development and growth is about overcoming limiting beliefs that we have so we can step into this next version of ourself. But what do we have to do in order to overcome these limiting beliefs? We have to do a level of healing of certain parts of ourself. So the healing work that I began to do is still the work that I'm doing today. There's just layers and layers and layers of the healing ultimately. You know, part of that work really began from understanding you know, where this began in the first place. Like we can dive into the whole like childhood thing. And, but like with my story, I share there at the beginning, right? Like a lot of it evolved from there. And, you know, I, I think there is some things that are really important about understanding, you know, where did this come from in the first place? And all of our life circumstances and relationships are a byproduct from the way in which we relate to ourselves. And what I mean by that is one, circumstances is one, the circumstances I'm in right now, 
This could be a circumstance of, you know, the health issues that I was in. So circumstances are always changing. Now, relate to self really is the relationship that we have with ourselves. And we have a relationship with ourselves as we do with other people. And we're constantly in different relationships with other people. So you and I are in a relationship, right? And every relationship has three things. They have thoughts, feelings, and views about that other person and about that relationship. When I go to Starbucks and I meet the barista and he's having a bad day and he's just kind of cold and is like, here, take your coffee. You know, we're in a relationship in that moment. And I have thoughts, feelings, and views about that person. So... If we think about it, we also have this relationship with ourselves, which means we have thoughts, feelings, and views about ourselves. And in every single moment, circumstance, or relationships we have, we are really creating those from the way in which we think, feel, and view ourselves. So I believe part of this healing work really begins by one, taking notice of all of the ways we are constantly viewing ourselves in every single situation and circumstance, because that's always going to change over time. Like, like right now I could be relating to myself in a certain way of being like, all right, I'm confident I got this, but there are other circumstances where I'm not coming from that place. But one thing we can really pay attention to is there's a pattern. There's a pattern of the way in which we relate to ourselves. And if we were to go back to the beginning and find different circumstances from where we created certain views about ourselves, we would start to understand why in later situations or relationships later on in life, we have certain views, which is why we say like, you know, we recreate a lot of our relationships that we had with our primary caregiver early on. Like if we had anxious attachment which is like a type of a, a pattern we have where there's a lot of like kind of clinginess essentially, but then also like shaming and anger kind of back and forth, which is actually a lot of what I had with my parents early on because I was neglected. We tend to see these people actually having the same relationships later on. And that's really coming from that relationship that we have with ourselves and the way we're viewing ourselves. So high level, this may sound like a lot of information there. I think part of the healing really begins of one, noticing the way I view myself and I'm thinking about myself constantly in all of these different circumstances and events. And where did this come from? Because that's also the root cause. So, right, I was coming from a place of unworthiness, not enough. And that began somewhere early on in my upbringing. So what did like neglect, like what does that look like? you know, for you, like, cause I think that can mean a variety of things depending on people's situations. Yeah, definitely. So I grew up with a father who was mentally absent. He actually suffered from mental illness. He was a very, very passive man. So there was some emotional neglect there, but my mom was physically gone all the time. So my parents separated at a very young age. Um, my mom spent most of her life out partying and drinking and drugs, bringing home various men to our home who she would sleep with where me and my siblings were really left to tend for ourselves. Now I could be gone for days, no questions asked at all. Like nobody cared where I was, what I was doing. So I didn't have that sense of one support 
And that's where a lot of the meaning was cultivated. And for a lot of us, we can think back to certain events that happened in our upbringing. It could even be when we were a teenager, like we were bullied or someone said something mean, mean to us. And we made out of that circumstance a meaning about ourselves, right? So there were certain circumstances that I had where I was younger. I realized I made meanings of your bad, you're not good enough, you're unlovable. I made those meanings, right? Because there were certain facts of the situation. My mom was gone all the time, right? And my mom was doing whatever she was doing. But as a kid, right, we don't understand those things. So I made the meaning of it's because I'm bad, because there's something wrong with me. And as I think I got into fitness, that's where, hey, this gave me a sense of, okay, there's a little bit of worth here because I was already coming from a place of a kid who gave myself that meaning. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It makes total sense. And it makes sense as to why like the external validation and the pursuit of like achieving like optimal fitness became like so addicting for you because you were looking for a way to find some sense of worthiness and purpose and meaning. And that kind of gave you all of that. And so talking about like what you were saying a few minutes ago about like transforming the relationship with yourself and how you viewed yourself. What was the a relationship like with yourself when you started this healing journey? And then like, what were some of the things that you did to change the way that you viewed yourself so that you could have a healthier relationship with your body and the people around you? Well, I'd say the very first Thing was creating that awareness because what we're not aware of, we can't heal from and we can't ultimately change. So once I was able to pinpoint, hey, this is the place that I'm coming from. This is what's showing up. This is how I'm viewing myself in most of these situations. And this is where I was coming from. I was able to then kind of, kind of I was able to kind of go high level overview of different things that would happen in my life where I would notice this happening in real time. You know, I would maybe be on a podcast, right? Like I was, I was already kind of getting into my, my career in fitness and everything there as I'm doing this healing stuff. Like this isn't something like I was like, I put my life on hold for and I just do the healing work. Like, no, your life doesn't get put on hold in order to heal. Like healing is not just something we do when we find answers for it. We actively heal through it on the day-to-day -day basis. So I'd be in different circumstances, like getting on a podcast and I would notice like this anxiety and this nervousness coming up about me. And I was maybe picking myself apart a bit there. And then I would kind of get a little bit of high level overview. So it's kind of like separating from the body, being the observer. And I would notice that I was viewing myself coming from that place of unworthiness, right? I was noting seeing myself coming from a place of hey, you're going to mess up. You're not good enough. And a lot of that negative self-talk. And because I've done the work to know where this came from, I was able to then say, hey, you know what? This, this isn't actually me. This is coming up because of this happened here. But this isn't actually me. So I was able to almost kind of separate from it, if that makes sense. Therapists actually do this all the time. And I was working with a therapist and he actually had me like name it. Some people name it. Some people give it like a shape. And I remember one day he was like, what shape is it? And I was like, it's a circle. He was like, what color is it? I was like, it's black. He's like, okay, where is it? I was like, it's in my chest. And he's like, 
all right, what is it doing in your chest? And I was like, it's, it's like pulling downwards. He's like, okay. And when you notice that pulling downwards, what emotions do you feel? And I was like, I feel anxiety. I feel like a nervousness. I feel kind of like this um, annoyance and frustration building a little bit there. So he would say, okay. So the next time you notice this black circle kind of like pulling down and you have those emotions there, we're gonna just take awareness and, and separate from ourselves from it for a little bit. And I think what a lot of people do also in the moment is they try to get rid of it, right? We're like, get rid of this as fast as possible. This is bad. It can't be here. And whatever we resist persists ultimately in our life. So I like to think of, you know, kind of being like that grounded parent for this part of us in a lot of ways, because this is a part of you. It's not who you are. It's a part of you. It's a part of you that needs healing. You know, I don't relate to myself like that. And I, I didn't in every circumstance, but it was becoming a part of me that was really, really taking over. So when I say showing up as a grounded parent for that part, you know, you can picture a mama and a little kid in the grocery store and the little kid is throwing a fit. He gets on the floor. We've all seen that before. And he's like throwing this whole tantrum. And what does the mama do? The mama gets down on the ground. She becomes very, very grounded and she just holds space for her, her son or daughter who's crying and throwing a tantrum. Because if the mama gets down and she tries to say, stop it, stop it right now, what does that kid do? He could shut down or, or it keeps crying more, right? Like it keeps throwing the tantrum, but it doesn't get rid of it, right? It doesn't get rid of the problem. It, it, the kid just keeps doing what it's doing. If anything, it makes the problem worse by saying, stop it. You're... And then the kid takes that on. So part of healing that part of us, I think, is showing up as that grounded parent. It's saying, hey, I'm not trying to get rid of it. I'm just holding space, but I'm becoming the observer of it and I'm separating myself from it. And I think that's when that I call it big S self, our highest self can really step in, hold space. That's like that. We've heard the term. We can really self-parent ourselves because we have these multiple parts of us. You know, we have these protector parts of us and that protector parts of us are trying to keep us from feeling unworthiness. You know, you can think of scenarios where let's say a guy gets rejected, right? And that core wound is not good enough, unlovable. But what does he do? He then turns to a secondary emotion of, you know, judgment, of anger, of all of these things. So those are what we call protector emotions. So we have all of these parts. We have our protectors. We have the, the core wounds. That's like the unworthiness. And then we have the big S self. And when we are able to get to that place of high level overview of observing this, being that grounded parent, that's when the big S self can really step on the scene. It can hold space. It can self, it can parent all of these different parts of us. And that is actually how we heal. That is actively healing. And when we can do that, we can actually remind ourselves, okay, this is my parts. It's coming up. I'm not going to get rid of it. It's here. That's okay. And this is me actively healing right here, right now. And the most beautiful part is we're able to then step into our true and authentic self, you know, and maybe the nerves will stay there for a little while, but as we continue to do this over and over again, and it's not, it's not easy. Like it takes work, right? We really have to become the observer. We really have to take notice. We have to be that grounded parent. That big S self starts to really take over and starts to be the, the person who's 
leading the ship, who's in charge here, instead of these other parts that are trying to be in control so often in our life. And I think it's from this place, our, our authentic self, our high self, that we can actually relate to ourself, which is true and accurate. And it's that knowing. I call that place, it's, it's the knowing. We don't have to try to prove our worthiness. We don't have to try to, you know, do whatever we need to do in order to fit in. We know we have worth. We know we have love because we are here right now. It's that knowing. And so once you began to, you obviously, you know, did a lot of work to heal the way you saw yourself from a worthiness perspective, and then also understanding where a lot of this came from and being able to gain some perspective that this necessarily, you were able to separate yourself from the situation in itself. Like in real time now, being that like you are a content creator, you are in the health and nutrition space, people can easily become obsessive with that as well. How does that all, I guess, impact what you do today? And then in real time, like what are some of the steps that you take to make sure that you're not falling back into old patterns? I'm not at the point where it never rubs its head up, right? And I don't know if we get to that point where it's just completely gone, like ever. But I'd say where I'm at now as an entrepreneur, as someone who's running a business, helping people do this healing work, is I'm able to notice it and I'm able to come out of it that much faster. And I don't associate it as me. I associate it as a part of me, but it doesn't control my life anymore. So it's still, yes, it rubs its head on the scene every now and then. I'll be prepping for, you know, speaking event, a podcast or, or things that we could say make us feel significant. And it rubs its head on the scene every now and then, of course, but I'm able to notice it, know where it's coming from. And I'm able to, I don't want to say get rid of it because that's not the goal, but I'm able to really step into my more authentic version of myself faster and faster over time. I'd say we, with being an entrepreneur, you know, in the health space altogether with all of this, I've really had to check in with myself a lot more, right? Because in this whole whole space of personal development and entrepreneurship, like it is a very ego-driven type world, like it is. And I think we have to pay attention to where we're guiding people to ultimately. Like there are a lot of entrepreneurs, there's a lot of people out there and their whole mission, right, is revolving around making money. It's a very ego-driven work and it's to get people to sign up for more programs and programs But we have to really ask ourselves, where are we guiding people to ultimately? And I think this is the place, right? We're guiding people to this place of one of healing, but it's it's really getting to that place of, of God. And I'm not sure if everybody's background, like I have a Christian background myself, but there I believe there's like the God within us. There's that, that Holy Spirit. And it's guiding people back to that place. And I think that's the mission that we're all on. So for me, as long as I stay in alignment with the greater mission and notice the, the ego parts that kind of rev its head up, because that happens and the ego's there to protect and it's going to rev its head up. But I think we have to really pay attention to what is the mission that I'm ultimately on? Is it self-serving? Is it just trying to prove my worth? Is it trying to make you know a couple million dollars? Is it looking for validation? Or is it truly serving a mission and trying to guide people to this place, this place of healing ultimately? So I'd say that's been the biggest thing of today of 
how I've had to transition my work, really checking in with myself. Like I said earlier, you know, there are times where the most loving thing is get your ass up, get the work done. And sometimes it's, hey, slow down, take a break. And it's really getting to know yourself and really pay attention and what your body is saying. And I think we also live in a personal development space, fitness industry, entrepreneurship, where we are like override all of that. Fuck your feelings, right? And that's what leads to the burnout, the exhaustion, the depression. And I'm not saying sometimes, yes, act in spite of thoughts, feelings, moods, and emotions, but you will always know them by their fruits, right? For example, with working out and going to the gym and fitness, you know, if after you feel worse and you feel exhausted, that probably was not the right choice for you. But normally our gut, when we really slow down and, and tune in with ourselves, like, like we do know the answers and we know where we're really trying to guide for, or we're really, we know really where we're trying to guide ourselves to and where we're also trying to guide other people to. So I think it's just, it's slowing down a bit at times. Right. And it goes back to what you said at the beginning, where like the third thing you recommended to people to transform the relationship with their body is to have like a vision, right? And then keep your eyes on the bigger picture and having clarity on that. And so with regards to your relationship with food specifically in itself, like where are you at with that now? Because it's from what I can tell, it's not like you've just given up completely on eating healthy. It seems like you still try to eat fairly healthy. And do you ever get triggered from, from the past at all with that? I'm in the best place ever with my relationship with food right now. I have not counted a single macro, a single calorie since all of my health issues, which was I think back in 2017 is when all of that went down. I tracked for probably a little bit thereafter, but once I really got to like the root cause, I let go of it. And there was all that fear that came up where I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to gain weight or all of that. You know what's so interesting? As I've let go of tracking and I started to pay more attention to how my body actually feels, like my relationship with food has massively improved. Now, I think part of this is eating real whole food, right? Because in order for us to be able to be intuitive, to listen to our body, one, we do need to have kind of like somewhat of a base of nutrition education, right? So I do think it can be helpful for people to track macros for a certain period of time. I do. You know, understanding how roughly how much protein they should be getting, how much carbohydrates, how much fats, what that all looks like on their plate in terms of measurement. Like I think for the average person, everybody should track macros for a period of time. But then we get to a point where it's not really for the education purposes anymore. And again, nothing wrong with if you have a competition, you have a goal, macros help exponentially, but it got to the point for me where it was no longer serving me. I had all the education. I, I roughly know on my plate how much protein I should be getting, that most of my plate should be some kind of a veggie, get some good healthy carbohydrates, and focusing on eating real whole food because our body is going to stop when it's full and it's going to better listen to our hunger cues when we're actually eating real food. You know, take a steak, for example, right? You love steak, I would imagine. I do, yeah. Yeah. Like, we'll enjoy steak, we'll eat that steak, and we'll stop eating once we feel full, right? Like, we'll enjoy it, we'll be like, hmm, I'm good, I've had enough, and we'll kind of push it away. Now, give someone hyperpalatable foods, breads, pasta, chips, we will override those hunger cues time and time again. So that's what's 
you know, the intuitive eating part, I think first and foremost, one, we do need to have some basis of nutrition education. Two, we need to be eating real whole food to be able to really lean into listening to our body's hunger cues and being intuitive. And those are really the things that I was able to have in place, which was some of the the beautiful things of competing and that what I walked through is I got a, a great base in nutrition. I also got my degree in nutrition and dietetics on top of it. But now I'm at a point where one, food does not consume my mind. Like I barely think about food. I eat foods that I know work great with my body. You know, I've been able to heal all my gut issues. So my diet is very much gut healthy focused. So gut centric type nutrition, fermented foods, lots of leafy greens, high quality animal protein, healthy fats. And I eat till I'm full. I do some intermittent fasting. And now I take, honestly, I don't like to think about food. Like I don't. So I'd like to have my, my brain open to think about things that matter, to think about my business, to think about the mission that I'm on, to lean into creativity, different ideas, to have time to connect with myself, whether that's through meditation or breath work or sitting in my sauna or journaling, playing with my puppies. Like I want to have brain space in order to do those type of things. So I have a routine that works for me. And you know what's the crazy thing is I think my body looks better than it even did when I was competing. And I don't know if that's true in terms of like the physical sense. You know, everybody, of course, can have their opinion. Me physically, I do think it looks better. But I also would imagine my self-love for myself too has grown exponentially. So I, I just love my body more now than I did then too. That's amazing. And I think that's a good place for us to stop because everything's kind of come full circle where we've talked about how somebody can transform their relationship with their body. And then we dove deep into your story pretty much from beginning to end of where things started, how they progressed, how they were, you know, I guess good for a period of time. And then they got progressively worse. And then we talked about like how you have evolved and picked yourself up or gotten back up off of from falling from that point in your life and how you've gotten to where you are now. So, so Rachel Shear, this has been awesome. If people want to connect with you, if they want to learn more about what you're doing, they want to listen to your podcast, where's the best place for them to do that? You can listen to my podcast, Sheer Madness, that Doug actually came on as well. So you have to listen to that episode on all the platforms, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. So Sheer Madness. And then you can check out my website, rachelshear.com, where we do functional medicine, lab testing, one-on-one coaching, and then follow me on social media at Rachel Shear. There's a C, so it looks like Rachel's cheer. It's Rachel Shear. I'm not a cheerleader. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to plug the links to your socials and everything in the show notes. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Rachel said at the beginning about the three tips she shared as far as what somebody can do if they want to transform their relationship with their body. Maybe it was something that she said about her own personal story or rebuilding her self-worth or what the healing journey looked like or what she recently shared about where she's at now with her relationship with her body and food. Whatever the takeaway was, make sure to tag Rachel, tag myself because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we'll see you next time.